honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I wanna give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. All right, folks, we're back again from the Psychotherapists Association Winter Symposium in Colorado Springs. Uh, my guest uh, now is Michael Pipich. Pipich, okay, Pipich. Michael Pipich, uh, a master MSLMFT. Please explain that, the letters after your name. Sure, licensed marriage family therapist. Fantastic, okay. Um, and you've got a book, Owning Bipolar. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I know for a fact that a lot of my family the parents, the teachers that I work with, the clinicians that I work with, we're dealing with kids with bipolar, teens with bipolar. So for the uh, people who still don't understand what it means, because we used to use the term manic depressive, and that's the, that's not interchangeable anymore. Okay, so tell me a little bit about bipolar. Put it, put it, put this into your words so we yeah. get you. Yes, actually, uh, bipolar disorder is first of all, I think very important to understand. It is a genetically based mood disorder. Right. And by uh, genetics, that means it's passed down through family lines. It is uh, the disorder itself and its basic foundations is coded in the individual's DNA. And again, passed down through family lines. Okay. So in understanding bipolar, um, it's also under, good to understand family history with that regard. But it's also important to understand that because it has a genetic component to it, uh, that weighs heavily in the development of the disorder, it's nobody's fault. Nobody, uh, no bad parenting or trauma or so forth causes bipolar to exist in that individual. That person comes to the planet, if you will, sure. with the foundations of that disorder and because of various things that arise in that person's life internally in terms of hormonal changes, uh, externally in terms of pressures that he or she may go through in life, they can present as catalysts to bring out the disorder in, in those individuals. Okay, so so at, going through adolescence, first of all, like mm -hmm. like when 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 a kid's when a when a teenager, male or female, their system just starts dumping all the new hormones and everything. Can that be a catalyst? Are you talking more of sincere environmental situations, an abusive situation, an abandonment, things like that, or both? Well, all of those can become catalysts. Okay. The hormonal changes are huge. Okay. In in the development and the disorder for those individuals that again have that genetic piece to it now for many um uh, young adults and so forth it can come out later maybe in their college years maybe later in their 20s and in the case 
of uh, women with a postpartum onset. No they kidding. can develop that bipolar disorder in a recognizable, diagnosable way for the very first time in their lives during or following childbirth. So there are different factors that go into it. But I know that for your audience in particular, parents are very interested to know how these changes could be uh, occurring in their, in their children and how it presents uh, in terms of the mood disorder. Yes. And, and, and if I may, you mentioned manic depression is kind of the old term. Yeah, yeah. But it still is very descriptive. Okay. Because when it comes to bipolar disorder, and, and the term means two poles, to represent the furthest points emotionally in a person's life. So these are not mood swings that many people can kind of go through ups and downs in life. Right. They're very extreme. And on the manic side of that bipolar equation can be a rush of energy where that person feels terrific. They feel great. They feel like they can do anything in life. And very often they stay up for maybe two, three, four days or a whole week without wow. sleep. And uh, But it, very often it then kind of evolves into irritability and agitation and angry outbursts and on the depression side that's a very very dark desperate time for many people including young people where they go through depression and even suicidal depression so these mood swings that identify bipolar disorder as a distinct mood disorder are very extreme and in the case of most people they can experience these episodes uh, over days or weeks but in the case of younger children uh, pre-pubescent right. into adolescence the first signs of bipolar can be very rapid and what we call rapid cycle are you talking hours or still days uh, sometimes days sometimes hours wow. I've seen it where uh, young people who just where the disorder is emerging for the very first time can experience those mood swings in the course of a day. There's a there is a popular book, and I'm going to say the name wrong, and that's the the name of the book only is the point. And it says, uh, um, "I hate you, get out of my life, but first, could you take me and Cheryl to the mall?" And 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 I and and I'm wondering for a family's sake when they see a teenager who's going through normal teenage stuff, and I'm using the the air quotes here. Um, how does a parent tell the difference? Does I hate you? Can you take me to the mall? Is that is that normal, or am I seeing some bipolar traits here? Well, it it, it is very difficult at times to separate, particularly in young people. Uh, the emerging symptoms of what would be bipolar disorder distinct from the kind of turmoil that we expect in adolescence on a more regular, typical basis that right. resolves as that individual grows and matures into young adult life and beyond. Okay. Um, but uh, it, think in terms, if you will, not only those very changeable kind of characteristics, but that bipolar disorder is driven by shifts in mood, not just terms and shifts of behavior per se, we see it for behavior. But if, if, a, if, a, if a young person, they may be very excitable, they may be kind of just very hyperactive, if you will, in one sense, but next time they may be sitting in the corner crying. So we have to also not just look at those interpersonal kinds of shifts that we sometimes see with adolescents, like you suggest, yeah. but also the expressions and the affect and the mood that may change with it. If you see those things together, that's an important uh, marker to get professional help okay. and begin that diagnostic process. Now, let's talk about some of the brain chemistry. And I, my first quick question is, um, when, when 
you hear the diagnosis, right? And be, because we, it's a more popular uh, uh, diagnosis, we see it a lot with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not the death sentence that borderline personality disorder, you know, you'll never get over it or narcissism or something like that has. People, people live successful, happy lives with bipolar. And it can be very extreme and very debilitating. And certainly a lot of the kids who are in treatment in our facility um, have bipolar. So we know yes. that it can get to the dysfunctional level. But identifying the family member who had it, you know, you're saying it's genetic. Mm-hmm. So realizing that it was grandpa or, you know, direct, it was mom or dad or great grandpa, does that help or does that not matter as much as focusing on treatment? You know, it, it matters quite a bit. Oh, no kidding. Yes, it, it's really important, I think, uh, particularly for fellow clinicians to understand that getting that family history, that family, mental health history, if it in fact it's available, and not always is. Well, and like, I'm adopted on one side, so well, then, my history is a little sketchy. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Uh, but we, if we have those pieces of information uh, available to us, it can make the diagnostic uh, process so much easier, so much oh. more complete, uh, again, from that genetic standpoint. Um, your, your question is very rich with many different things that I think we can, we can certainly address. But uh, if, if I can go back to the title of my book, Owning sure, Bipolar, sure. as a concept, I think that uh, it's very, very important for both for individuals with bipolar condition, including young people, but also for parents, uh, caregivers, family members, loved ones around that individual to understand, like you suggest, it is not a death sentence. Now, the bad news is from the, from the fact that very often bipolar disorder goes unrecognized, goes untreated. We know that the by research, the average time a person waits from their first bipolar mood event to the time they get treated is about 10 years. Holy cow. We also know that about one-fourth of all deaths by suicide may be related to bipolar disorder. So there's an urgency, I believe, to be able to identify the disorder, diagnose it correctly, and begin that treatment process correctly. And by doing so, then we move from the bad news to the good news. As you suggest, it is a disorder that can be uh, treated and maintained uh, through that person's lifetime to where it's not the center of their life. It doesn't call the shots anymore in terms of uh, mood changes and behavioral changes that can get that person into some serious trouble. Instead, it can be managed like many other chronic medical illnesses can be managed with medications, the right therapy program and so forth to where it's a part of that person's life, but it doesn't call the shots. It's not the center of their life anymore and they can live very successful lives very creative productive happy fulfilling lives going forward if we can reach those individuals early with early diagnosis and early treatment so you're one of the speakers here at the conference you're yes. you're going to be speaking on this um and i is it new research new modalities of intervention what's what is your primary topic or just about bipolar in general and truly understanding it well here for our purposes yeah. on wednesday morning i'll be presenting and looking forward to it i'm going to be talking specifically about um the co-occurrence of bipolar disorder with substance use disorders. Okay. We know about 50% of all people with bipolar disorder 
have a co-occurring substance use disorder. 50%. About 50% of them. And one of the things that's so important is to understand where that very often underlying bipolar disorder exists in somebody who has a current substance abuse problem. Right. Um, and, and, and that's one of the reasons I think why bipolar disorder goes unrecognized and undiagnosed. Somebody might be presenting with a substance use disorder or any other kind of psychiatric problem, um, and, and that's what we focus on. But we know that if we can identify a co-occurring bipolar disorder in somebody, for example, who is in addiction treatment, recovery, sure. yeah, um, we uh, just increased uh, their success rate overall in terms of, of, of developing and, and working through a sobriety program, for example. And we've also reduced the relapse rate because those with bipolar disorder and a co-occurring substance abuse pro, um, uh, disorder, if that bipolar is not identified, their chance of relapse going forward are very, very high. And again, we have that suicide piece. So things can really fall apart even after somebody has been in a treatment program uh, for however long they're there. If that bipolar is not recognized and addressed, their chances, unfortunately, of relapsing and having even more serious consequences than perhaps what they survived going into that program are much higher. You know, I want to I want to deviate from the children just for a second because we're talking about, and it's, it's important that we talk about this we're talking about because it's a genetic thing uh, I know mostly moms are listening to my show and let's say mom has bipolar or dad husband has bipolar or partner has bipolar um, what let's let's give let's give spouse because you're you're you deal so much with marriage and um, uh, marriage counseling let's talk about what to do if your spouse has it, if your parenting partner has it, if your ex has it, another adult involved with you and your children, what are two quick steps that a mom can say, yeah, I think my, I think my partner has this, what do I do? Right, in owning bipolar, I do explain also, not just for parents, but also spouses and intimate partners. Okay. Um, how they can approach uh, this really serious dilemma in their lives. And it can be very scary for a number of reasons, including the fact that we expect with bipolar disorder in that early phase of identification and beginning what I, I call the three-phase approach to bipolar therapy, um, denial. Okay. And uh, much as we see, for example, with substance abuse. Sure, of course, you know, of course. Like, I don't drink as much as you think I do, and you're the problem. I can me. stop anytime. Yeah. Sure. And, and oftentimes, people with bipolar disorder, because uh, they're afraid of treatment, they're afraid of giving up the great feelings of mania, for example, and, and how that's an offset to depression, can very much guard um, any sort of truth or reality uh, presented to them, not just from their spouses, but from their doctors and therapists and so forth. Um, but to answer your question, I think it's very important for spouses and intimate partners, somebody that they believe has bipolar and may have bipolar, to get help and information for themselves. Okay. Rather than spending too much time and energy and risk trying to confront the individual. What we want to do is confront bipolar disorder, and that's a separate thing. And we confront bipolar disorder and bipolar symptoms by getting information, getting support, and there's a lot of resources available, and I would invite them to check out my book to get that information as well, and to edify yourself in that process as you go into uh, these discussions with that individual, and you might even find somebody else, uh, another loved one, 
uh, perhaps an adult child or another family member, a sibling of that individual, or somebody that recognizes that potential problem as well. And get that support, get perhaps the support of a therapist for yourself, given that you probably, as an individual, as a loved one who's had to face bipolar uh, from that angle, it's probably created trauma for yourself. So get strong, get informed, get edified, and then go into that process recognizing, again, that you're not confronting a person in their bad behavior. You're confronting bipolar disorder that has a collection of symptoms and can make a very good person do very bad things. Sure. Do, do you have, is there another layer or anything different for parents who have just heard from the therapist, the counselor, the psychologist, psychiatrist, your child has bipolar, is bipolar. Mm -hmm. um, it makes sense that your advice for dealing with a spouse, uh, a, a lover, a partner uh, is get yourself educated onto what you're dealing with, but I, I'm assuming that's also the same if you've got a kid. Is there more if it's your child? It's very similar to what I just okay. mentioned, but there's also other kind of dynamics too. For example, it's very common, and it would be true for, for any parent. I'm a parent myself, and I understand that nobody wants to think that their child has a has a disorder of any right. kind, of medically of, course, of any of kind, course. particularly something that they're just not going to outgrow if you let it go. We, we think our kids can outgrow anything, at least we'd like to believe so. So that is an acceptance process for that parent okay. to get their mind around, if you will, too. Um, but, uh, you know, if I may, it's really interesting, and I talk about this in the book, that there's, I, I find very often an inverse relationship of acceptance between parents and child when the child has a diagnosis of bipolar. That is to say, if the, if the child is sort of in denial, the parents tend to accept it. And if the parents oh, are in denial, the, 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 the child will accept it more and vice versa. There's sort of a teeter-totter kind of relationship in terms of how they get their minds around this. And thankfully, I see more and more young people, um, because we have more awareness and we have an open discussion about it, we have social media uh, to kind of give us information, although there's a downside to that. Yes, of course. It can be missing. <laughs> but the, but the, uh, a sense of openness is really important to counteract stigma. So I find that young people, when they arrive at acceptance sooner than their parents, it sort of creates that dynamic and, and vice versa. So it's important, again, for parents to kind of have that same sort of informational piece and understanding and give them an opportunity maybe to go to through even something of a grieving process, if you will, to break through denial, accept it together, and know that with the right treatments, we're going to work on these things together, and their, and their child is going to be very successful. And, you know, parents are very uh, aware of substance abuse potential, depression and suicide. And I focus with parents on these things. Okay. Because these are very highly correlated with bipolar. So if, there's, if their child, and I know their child wants to be successful, worried about drinking and using drugs and self-harm and suicide and all these things, this is where I start a conversation with them very often. Okay. Breaking it down to the kinds of things that I know if we work on these aspects, bipolar symptoms, their child is going to be more successful. They're not going to be suicidal. They're not going to cut on themselves. They're not going to abuse drugs. If they have the right kind of treatment platform to give them that opportunity to avoid those negative activities and find more positive results in their life. Okay. 
Um, I want to make sure you have time to talk about uh, uh, your, your how, how parents, teachers, and clinicians are going to contact you. Mm -hmm. But before I say that, we need to talk again. You're very eloquent. You've been able to put this in very easy words. Um, I, frankly, I'd like to talk to you about training my staff as well. So, because <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Um, you're very good. You're a very good speaker. Um, let's, Michael, let's talk about how parents find you, you know, uh, every platform, Facebook, website, your book. Is it at Amazon? How can, how can, how can we get parents connected to you? Okay, great. Thank you very much. And thank you for what you're doing. Too, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. So people can find me, first of all, at my website, which is michaelpipich.com. That's Michael, then P-I-P-I-C-H dot com. Um, and, and other things that I do are connected there. You can find okay. uh, uh, the website for the book, which is owningbipolar.com. I also have some uh, social media uh, platforms, uh, Bipolar Network. If you just kind of Google Bipolar Network, you'll find it on Facebook. You'll find the website. That's a place to get information and share stories together on bipolar disorder. Um, so all of those things kind of collectively, you'll find me on Twitter. You'll find me on Instagram. I post a lot of stuff there as well. So, But you can start at michaelpipich.com. Michael That's the best Pippich. way to get a hold of me and, and to find the other places that I, that I do what I do. Okay, michaelpipich.com. I also seeing you can get the book directly at owningbipolar.com. Yeah. And you're speaking here. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you more, Michael. Yeah. All right. Thank you great. so much. Yeah, I really appreciate pleasure. it. All right, folks, remember the rules. You take care of yourself first. You take care of your adult relationships second. You take care of your children third because in that way, we do our best work with our children. Uh, we'll be back with another speaker here at the Winter Symposium live podcasting on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>